Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to the Healing Herb Podcast. This is your grief expert and friend, Ashley Lemieux. Hey, welcome back to the Healing Herb Podcast. I'm really happy that you are here today specifically for this episode. And I feel encouraged because the topics of mental health are starting to be talked about more which means that more of us feel supported and are finding the language for how we're feeling. Today is a really important episode that can feel perhaps a bit uncomfortable, so I'm going to ask you to lean into that discomfort. Just notice it so that as a whole, we can work through it so that this topic can start feeling less taboo and more talked about. You learning what we're going to talk about today is quite literally what is going to help change the world and the stigma around mental health. Now, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Last year was the highest amount of suicides ever recorded. It peaked after the pandemic, but we're still very much not supported in knowing how to talk about it because it's been taboo for so long and we stereotype those who need help. The reality is suicidal thoughts are probably affecting people that you know. This is important to know, not in a scary way, but in a way where we learn how to talk about it. And then we're able to help people that we love, including ourselves, get the support they need. In 2021, what we know is that 12.3 million adults seriously thought about suicide in America. Today, we are talking about three things to equip you to support yourself and the people you love in learning how do we talk about suicide. We are going to cover how do I help friends or family who are having suicidal thoughts or who I notice are going through a really hard time. We're also going to provide resources for those of you who are listening and are feeling hopeless so that you can know how to find support for yourself. And lastly, we're going to answer the question of how do we support friends and family of those who have lost a loved one to suicide? I wanted to bring an expert on to this episode with me who has made it her focus to help those needing support. Beth Brady is a director at Solari, which is the organization that fields the 988 calls here in Arizona and Oklahoma. 988 is the suicide prevention and crisis hotline that offers nationwide support and resources. She's an expert in clinical mental health, suicide prevention, and was ranked as one of the top two mental health first aid instructors in the state of Arizona. She's been in the field of mental health for over 15 years. Beth, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because as you know, we just need more language to help us be able to help those that we love and be able to help ourselves. But I would love for you to start with explaining what is the importance of raising awareness about suicide specifically during this month? Yeah, I think that it's interesting when we call it Suicide Awareness Month because I think the awareness is there, right? Because so many people have been impacted 
whether personally or they know someone who has died by suicide or have a loved one who has. And really, it's about the prevention part of it. The more we can talk about it, the more we lessen the stigma and shame associated with suicide. I think the more that people will open up, the more that people will understand this isn't a scary or taboo topic. This is a very normal part of life that people may reach the end of their rope and need help. And I think that's really what it's all about is just driving up that conversation in hopes that we can make a difference. I would love to see us doing this every month of the year, but you know, it's great to have this month dedicated to it because it does bring a lot of conversations to light. Something that you said I feel like is so important and I want to highlight it for a second. And you said that talking about it is what is going to help. And there is this misconception that saying the word suicide or talking about suicide or bringing up suicide to someone who might be having a hard time might push them over the edge or might be something that we shouldn't be talking about. But what you are saying and what we know in the field of mental health is that talking about it is actually what helps us prevent it more, Mm -hmm. which is why I cannot wait to hear your tools of how we can be talking about it to be supportive. But before we move to that, I would also love to hear from you, why is there so much stigma around the topic of suicide? That's a great question. And I'm not sure I have the answer to it. For some reason, it's very hard for people to have compassion for folks who are thinking about suicide or who have ended their life by suicide. Another misconception is that suicide is selfish. How could people do that? You know, think about their friends, their family that they've left behind in so much pain. And really what that tells me is that whoever may say that has a lack of understanding for the depths of pain and sorrow that someone may be feeling when they've reached that point where they're thinking about ending their life. So I think education and understanding is really going to help us change the stigma. There's no stigma about cancer treatment or someone who dies from a medical you know, issue, but yet there's still that stigma around whether it's suicide or depression or bipolar disorder. It's hard for people to understand that a disease can impact your brain just like it impacts any other part of your body. I want to point out something else that you just said because I want people to sit with this for just a second because I think that this is also very profound and being able to address this misconception is really helpful. But there is this misconception that people who die by suicide are selfish or it's a selfish thought. Mm -hmm. But what we know about those who die by suicide is a lot of times they actually feel like a burden. Mm -hmm. They feel like it will be helpful for the people that they love if they were not here anymore. And in a lot of instances, it's actually feels to them like they're not being selfish Mm -hmm. at all. And I love that you are helping create this language around this conversation because when we can understand what those who are struggling with suicidal thoughts are actually going through, then we know how to better show up and support them and have conversations with them that can be helpful. What are some common signs or indicators that someone might be experiencing suicidal thoughts? Some of the common signs are withdrawal and isolation. That's always a hard one because if someone is isolating, it's going to be hard to notice any of the other warning signs, but that is a major one. Some others are maybe pulling away from activities that they used to enjoy, talking or writing about death, maybe posting about it on social media, or 
talking about the future that doesn't include them in it, maybe making arrangements. And then on the flip side, what we see sometimes when someone is farther along in the planning process for ending their life is you might notice them appear to be better. Maybe if they had been depressed, they're seeming to have turned a corner and everyone around is thinking, oh, wow, they've, they seem like they're doing better. Sometimes when a decision has been made, it can feel like relief because they know that my pain's going to be over. I'm not going to have to have the weight of this on my shoulders anymore. The people around me won't have to feel like a burden. And for maybe the first time in a long time, they feel relief. So if you are the friend or a family member of someone who you've noticed is acting differently than usual or maybe is displaying some signs of wanting to die by suicide or having suicidal thoughts, can you help us with an easy step-by-step, here's what you do first and here's what you can do next? Because when you are in that situation, I know it can feel so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Also, I think a lot of people fear overstepping, like overstepping boundaries or saying the wrong thing or making assumptions. And so, especially when you've never dealt with it before and you're not equipped with the language on feeling confident on how to address this and help someone, it can really make it feel like, well, I shouldn't, I just shouldn't say anything. It's out of my place or I'm making this up in my head. Mm -hmm. So what is the first thing that someone can do if they are suspecting that a friend or family member is having suicidal thoughts? So I'm going to give you a really simple four steps, but I don't want to take credit for it because it does come from mental health first aid. But the first step is to ask. You've got to ask the question, and that, for many people, is the hardest part. We have to ask, are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? And we have to ask it that directly. A lot of times what people might say is, well, are you thinking of hurting yourself or kind of skirting around the issue? And it leaves an opening for that person to not be honest because they might not want to be a burden. You know, they may not want to share. But if we ask it directly, it's a lot harder for someone to not answer us honestly. So if we ask someone, are you thinking of killing themselves? And they say yes, then we want to listen. So we want to say, okay, can you tell me more about that? And then listen, just be quiet and let them speak. Because so often what happens is someone wants to jump in and they're out of fear usually and say, oh my gosh, you how could you be thinking about that? And now we're immediately putting shame on someone who's trying to open up, someone who we're worried about. And I get why people jump to that, but it's so important to just be quiet and listen and then, you know, do what you can to encourage that person. And it doesn't mean saying, well, don't worry, things will get better. It's really just sitting with them in that and allowing them the space to say, you know, I've been laid off from my job. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't feel like I'm providing for my family. And I don't see a way out of it. And then we need to just, you know, validate that that's really heavy and that we don't have all the answers, but we're here for them. We're here to support them. And so after you ask the question and then listen without judgment, that's a good time to give a resource because we don't expect as friends or family that we're going to have all the answers or know everything. So that's why it's important to know about things like 988, the National Suicide Lifeline. And if you know about local resources, great. But the nice thing is, is that with 988, wherever you are in the country, you can call and get help, whether it's for yourself or someone else. 
Thank you. I, I feel like having steps like that, at least for me, helps me have a plan to move forward with. It's like your own personal crisis plan mm -hmm. so that you can feel supported when you're having these hard conversations. Now, you kind of just talked about people who have been laid off or who are going through a hard time as just part of your example. Yeah. But I, I think it is important to know what type of groups are, are more at risk for suicidal thoughts or dying by suicide so that we can look out for them and know how to support people during that time. Sure. It's it's a little complicated. I'll start with some of the traditional groups, which are teenagers and older adults. Um, when I say older adults, I mean anything over like 55. Which um, I think for a lot of people hearing this for the first time, that's surprising mm -hmm. to know that the older population actually has a high risk of dying mm -hmm. by suicide because normally I don't think that that's who we're thinking about when we have conversations like this. Yeah, you're right. And some of the reasons for older adults that I think if you think about it a little bit more makes sense are... We have more medical issues as we get older, loss of social supports, maybe friends have passed away, families moved away, um, maybe there's just not those connections anymore that they used to have, and retirement can actually be a risk factor for some in what's my purpose now, what's my reason to get up out of bed, and so those are some of the things that come, some of the risk factors that come into play with older adults. Teenagers, I think... <laughs> We can all remember what it was like to be a teenager. Oh, it was. I don't <laughs> want to remember. It was It was a lot. It's a lot to be a teenager. It's so much. And it's, you know, I grew up at a time when there wasn't social media, so I can't even imagine now. So I think we're well aware of those risk factors. So those are some of the traditional groups that we've seen. Um, now that we're looking more at the data, we see that certain groups like LGBTQ, Black and Indigenous communities are seeing higher rates of suicide on average than the general population. During COVID, we actually saw suicides go down. So you mentioned that post-pandemic, now they're higher than they've ever been. And what was interesting is you saw some people like, all right, we're, we're making an impact. Suicides are decreasing. But they were still increasing in those other populations, in Black, Indigenous, and LGBTQ populations. And so I think that's just an important side note. And it's interesting, in, during COVID, one of the reasons we think that suicides may have decreased, even though COVID was a hard time for a lot of people, we were all kind of in it together. For many of us, that was the first pandemic we've ever experienced. And mm -hmm. even though it's something negative, you feel like you're going through it with the whole country. And so people felt less alone because mm. they were connected in that way. I think it's also really important to understand what people are feeling when they reach this point in their life where they feel really hopeless. We know that those who die by suicide, many are struggling with a mental illness or maybe it's something that has onset and they're trying to figure out how to work through it at that time. And we also know that feelings of hopelessness or feeling trapped or stuck or like their situation is never going to get better is what leads people to feel like there's no other better option for them to make. Yeah. I know that there are people who are listening to this episode who find themselves in that spot where they mm -hmm. feel really hopeless, where they feel really trapped. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them right now? I, I would say to them that whatever has led you to this point, know that there is help 
and there is hope, even though you feel hopeless, there are people that are willing to stand by you and see you through this dark time. And whether that's people that you know already or people that you don't, someone that you might meet through reaching out to a resource, things can change. Give it a chance, no matter how hopeless you feel. And sometimes when you're in the depths of it and feeling so much emotional, physical, maybe pain, it feels like there's no hope. But recognize you might not be thinking clearly. And so give it a chance to connect with help and and see if there are other options. I think that when people have those thoughts, too, just from what we know about suicidal thoughts, that it can feel really isolating, like you're the only one to feel that way. You feel really isolated from people. You feel really lonely. But something that you talk about and that we talked about before we were even in here together is that having these thoughts can actually be pretty common for people. They can be normal. And I would love to hear more from you about that so that people can normalize their thoughts and maybe not feel so isolated in it and know that there is help and there is support and there is a path forward for them that feels good again. Suicidal thoughts are really a normal occurrence throughout our lifespan. And this is what I was saying before. I find it interesting that people have a hard time finding compassion or really understanding because we all experience loss, trauma, heartbreak, and when someone starts to feel hopeless or like things may not get better, it's pretty normal to feel like, gosh, it would just be easier if I wasn't around. And there's a range of suicidal thoughts. So it's really normal to have a suicidal thought like that. Like, gosh, I just wish I wouldn't wake up tomorrow morning. That would just make life so much easier. That person's not planning their death, but that's a suicidal thought. And I think when people think about it in that way, Many of us hopefully can recognize, oh, yeah, I've been there. I've I felt that way. Well, maybe for someone who is actively planning their death by suicide, they've just been feeling hopeless longer or things haven't turned around for them. So we talk about that a lot with mental health. We've all experienced anxiety and depression, maybe not to the point where it impacted our daily life, but having that compassion and recognizing that you could feel that way if you haven't already normalizes that suicidal thoughts will happen for most people at some point in their life. I love that you talk about this because I think it's really important to know that mm-hmm. and and to know that these thoughts are normal. We're all human. Like we're trying to navigate through this human experience that can be so messy and feel so overwhelming at so many different points mm-hmm. in our life and realizing that those thoughts are valid and that there's ways to move through them. I think is really helpful for people. It's really helpful for me. And I know that, you know, there's going to be people who are listening also to this episode who have friends or family who they have been worried about and maybe have already had these conversations with. But there is still so much stigma about mental health and getting support and mm-hmm. and going to therapy. So for those who are in that place where a friend or family member that they are really concerned about just won't go get that help because it feels scary or, you know, it just feels too much Mm -hmm. right now. How can we create conversations where we encourage that to someone without also shaming them or putting so much pressure on them that it feels really overwhelming? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing is going back to having that conversation and maybe 
pointing out, these are the things that have changed that I've noticed. I've noticed you're not going to these classes that you used to, or you're not hanging out with your friends. Is something going on? Are you okay? Starting the conversation like that, and if you know that they are thinking about suicide and they aren't quite ready, the best thing to do is just continue to be there for them and say, you know, I'm here for you. I want to help you. And I think as the friend or family member saying, you know, I'm here for you, but I'm just not the expert. I don't know the right things to tell you. So I would love if you think about connecting with a counselor or a great place to start is a primary care doctor because nobody bats an eye about going to see their primary care doctor once a year for their physical. And we know that not all physical, not all PCPs are going to be equipped with mental health and suicide prevention, but hopefully they can make that referral. And now they're getting that referral from someone that they trust, someone they already trust with their physical health. So that can be a great way. I think kind of as the as that neutral party just saying, you know, I'm here for you and I want to help and I'm worried about you, but I don't have the answers either. I'll go with you to an appointment. I'll help you make the call. But, you know, this is kind of outside of my scope. You wouldn't you wouldn't expect the friend or family member to provide medical advice. So it's the same kind of thing. But I think just that willingness to be with them and help them in whatever way. And if they say no, then saying, okay, well, I'm here for you and I'm going to keep checking in on you and then continue to check in. At what point should someone in this situation who's trying to help a friend or family member reach out and tell someone else? Because that's a lot to carry. It also, we need to make sure that there are the right people involved to support the people that we love. So what does that look like? Mm -hmm. I mentioned that suicide is on a spectrum. So it's really normal to have suicidal thoughts. And suicidal thoughts alone are not incredibly high risk. Someone just feels like, oh, gosh, I'm feeling hopeless, but, you know, I have some some small glimmer of hope that maybe things will change. If someone is feeling hopeless and says, I can't do this anymore, I, I need to think of a way out, and they start planning for that. Um, and the way that we find that out is to say, are you having thoughts to kill yourself? Do you have a plan of how you do it? Do you know when? And if the answer, if they have answers to those questions, that's the time that we would need to engage somebody else. Call 988 if you need validation for if it's at that point or call 911 if it's at the point where the person may have a weapon or something like that where you fear their life is, is at risk immediately. And I think if you ask the question, do you have a plan to end your life and they have an answer, the best thing to do is to say, you know, now that you've told me that, I, I can't do nothing. So will you please get some help? Because we never want to feel like we're going behind a loved one's back to force them to get help or calling on you know, the police or something on them. But you can use that time to just say, I'm here with you. We've got to do something. I'm not willing to let you slip away. Can you walk us through what you can expect when you call 988? Because for those listening who either are wanting support for a friend or are in a place where they want help, they're not sure who else to reach out to. 988 is a great resource for that. But I also know I'm the type of person where I love a plan. I love knowing what to expect. (laughs) It helps me feel a little bit more in control. And if you're dealing with depression or anxiety, any new things can make you just have that heightened anxiety. So let's say I call 988 what can I expect that interaction to be like? Sure. 
So I do want to say when you call 988, there is going to be a recording. And the great thing about 988 is that you're going to speak to a local center when you call. It's routed by your phone's area code. And so it is a national number. It's a national platform. But you'll hear a recording as it transfers you to your local center. And then you'll talk to someone who's trained in crisis work, which includes suicide prevention. And they're going to ask questions about what led you to call today. How are you feeling? They're going to ask if you're having thoughts to kill yourself. And then if so, they're going to listen and help formulate a plan. This is if you're the person calling for yourself. So you can expect to have them go through some questions, but it's going to be more like that, more conversational, not feel like they're just checking boxes off of an assessment sheet. And then they're really going to listen and try and develop a plan that works for the person, whether that's connecting to resources, whether that's scheduling an appointment, sometimes just being able to have someone hear you out without judgment can be what the person needs for that moment. Other times the risk is too high and we need to you know, connect someone with, with more help. If you're a friend or family member calling 988, you can expect similar things, but about the person you're worried about. So have you noticed they're not doing things they used to do? Have they told you they're thinking about ending their life? And they'll try to help assess risk through that third party and then give suggestions, try to encourage that person to reach out. And depending on the state and the call center, they may even offer to do an outreach call. You know, let me just call them as a neutral party and say, I got a call from someone who's worried about you. Thank you. That is so helpful. I actually went to the Solaris Gala. Uh, this is how we got connected. Their, their fundraising gala earlier this year. And something that I kept hearing there being said is that you guys are receiving a record number of calls, mm -hmm. that your calls have increased so much this year over the past in, in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I say that to tell you, if you are listening, that you're not alone in this, that there are a lot of people who are struggling and that there is help. And there is support and there is a way forward. And I love the work that 988 is doing so much. I'm so glad that, that this exists mm -hmm. now. You know, like we have 911 to dial in the state of an emergency. We now have 988 to dial in a mental health crisis. And I feel like it has been a long time coming to finally yes. get a number like this that's easy to remember and yep. accessible and gives us support. I kind of want to transition a little bit now to a conversation about how do we support those who have lost a friend or a family member to suicide because suicide is still so taboo. What we know about the grief of those who are survivors of losing friends and family to suicide is that they experience disenfranchised grief, which means that it's not really talked about or acknowledged as much as it should be by people on the outside just because we don't know how to talk about it. It feels taboo. There can be so much guilt, so much shame, so much blame. How can we better support those who have lost a friend or family member to suicide? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because it doesn't get talked about enough. And I just want to say to anyone who is feeling that guilt or shame from the loss of someone close to them by suicide, please stop. <laughs> That's not your burden to carry. And if you feel like you missed a warning sign or something like that, 
often people who end their lives by suicide hide things from those that they love because of what you said before. They feel like a burden. And maybe maybe at work someone might have been able to notice a warning sign, but at home they made sure that they were kind of keeping up with day to day just so no one would notice. And so just know that even though we talk about that suicide is preventable and we want to educate about the warning signs, it doesn't mean that there was something that you could have done. And please let that go. As we support folks who have lost loved ones to suicide, a lot of the same conversation comes up. We can't be afraid to talk about it. We can't be afraid to provide support. I think suicide adds another layer of complexity to grief and just allowing people to talk about it. The loss didn't change. You know, they've still lost someone that they love and deserve an opportunity to talk about it and to share the good times with that person and what their life feels like without them. How they died should not have an impact on how we support individuals who've lost loved ones to suicide. Thank you. I just know that in the work I do with grief that family members and friends of those who have died by suicide can struggle for a long time with complex grief, with traumatic grief, with disenfranchised grief that seems to have a prolonged unresolve in their grief because they can cycle through these feelings of guilt and blame. And then the mourning process, which just a side note, grief is how we feel on the inside and mourning is how we outwardly express our grief. That's why we, why we have things like funerals or memorials. But when you deal with a suicide loss, it can be difficult because part of your mourning process can feel you don't feel safe in it maybe because you feel like you're going to be judged or you carry shame around it. And I just want anyone who is listening to this who has lost a friend or a family member to suicide, I want you to know that even if you have done all these things that we've talked about, we can't always prevent it. What we know about guilt, especially in the grieving process, is that guilt tries to tell us that we're to blame because then that means that we feel safe living in a world that is predictable, that we can know that if we were to just do something different in the future, that this isn't going to happen again. So a lot of times that story of guilt that we just feeding ourselves over and over again because we blame ourselves is actually trying to protect us to feel safe in a world that is unpredictable. And I just want you to know that the guilt, it's, it's not a true statement. It's not a true thought. You haven't done anything wrong. And I hope, it's our hope, especially with conversations like this, that this topic of suicide and loss can be something that feels more supportive mm -hmm. instead of something that brings shame or you feel like you're the only one in. Before we end the conversation today, Beth, first of all, this has been so impactful. You have given us so many tools. And that's something I love about you and with 988. The tools are practical. Like, they're tangible. We can go from how we feel, we're going to take the next step and the next step, and, and we're going to create a plan of support so that we can keep moving forward. And I know that I've said that a lot of moving forward, but I do know that no matter where you are in life right now, no matter how heavy it feels, no matter no matter how hopeless you feel, there is a path forward. There is a path to hope and feeling lighter and joy. And I want you to hear that because you matter. 
Beth, thank you so much again for being here with us today. The work that you do is so important. I'm like so honored that we're in this car together and that you've taken the time out to come and give these resources to us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for highlighting this such important topic. And I really hope that it makes a difference. And honestly, I don't hope. I know that it will make Mm -hmm. a difference for someone. And I'm really grateful that we were able to do this. In the show notes, we are going to put the link to Solari's website. We are also going to put the resource for 988 so that it's easily accessible. And I just want to honor you guys for showing up here today and having a conversation with us that I know can feel uncomfortable or can feel tricky or or feel a little messy. I just want to honor that and validate that. And thank you for opting into these conversations because this is how suicide prevention starts. This is how we give resources to people who need it and support those who are survivors. And thank you for being here again. And until next week, when I see you, take good care of yourself. I'm so honored you joined us for this episode of the Healing Her podcast, where healing isn't just a destination. It's an empowering, transformative adventure. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss brand new episodes each Tuesday. And if you're ready for more tangible tools, make sure you grab my best-selling book, I Am Here, wherever books are sold or in the link in the show notes below. Take good care of yourself until I see you again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.